Today's reading is Psalm 126. It can be found on page 572 of the Bible's next year seats as well as on the screen. This is God's word. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I invite you to pray with me. Our great God, we come to you from all kinds of different places, walking into this room um, for a worship service. And the truth is, we're all more of a mess than we care to admit. Um, even if we're putting on a front a lot of our lives, even if we're doing a lot of impression management, the truth is, our lives are not all tied up in a bow. In fact, we've got a lot of things that are troubling us, that we cry about, that we're embarrassed about, that we um, have a lot of inner turmoil about, that we lose sleep over. And so as we bring our mess, we remember that you move towards the mess, that this broken world is the world you chose to stick with and to love and to begin to repair through Jesus Christ. And so each and every one of us, even though we're more of a mess than we care to admit, it is true that we are more loved and accepted in Christ than we ever imagined. And as we try to um, lean into the season of waiting for your full expression of love to return, for your, the second coming of Jesus to make all things new, we pray now that you would speak to us through this scripture in such a way that our lives would be changed by your grace and we'd have a sense that we know you better. Speak to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So just real quickly, we're going to look at this psalm because God has given us a gift today of these baptisms and this, this membership service to, to speak to us through that and through all the words spoken there. And um, so just looking at Psalm 126, um, you notice it's kind of, it's kind of like this, um, it's surprising, it's so filled with joy. I don't know if you caught it. It was kind of so short, but our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. There's this exuberance, this, you know, huge amount of happiness and joy in this psalm. And we're in the season of uh, Christmas and holiday shopping and holiday parties. And I don't know about you, but I don't know that a lot of the time these days, at this time of year, that I would be described as walking around with joy, <laughs> you know. And, and as you look around and you see people honking and grumbling as they wait in line and all the expressions of kind of the hurry of the season, you don't see a lot of expressions necessarily of joy, you know, just free laughter. And God bless you if you feel like that's the place you have been in. That's wonderful. Teach me how I want to be there. I want to, as I, so, but that's what the psalm kind of gives us. So we sort of puzzle over it, and we hope it kind of um, rubs off on us a little bit today. 
Most of the people, when I asked last week, the question of the week was, what is your favorite joy memory? Most people said uh, something about the birth of their children. It was almost all the responses and a couple other ones in, thrown in there about the meeting the love of their life or um, times of laughing with close friends. But even the best, happiest moments in our life, the material things and the things with relationships with other people, even the best of all of that, um, from a Christian perspective, are, those are all still things that can actually be taken away. And that you'll be left in some kind of spot in life where what, what, if that was all your joy, then it's possible that all your joy can be taken away and you're left with nothing. And the Christian faith says there's something deeper than that, something that can't be taken away, something that is true and forever. I was reminded of um, a chapter by um, Eugene Peterson who writes a lot about the Bible, and he wrote on this psalm, and he talked about joy. Um, this is what he said. Let me make sure I get the right quote. Oh, yeah, there it is. I'm going to quote him, uh, I think, three times here. He says, a common a common but futile strategy for achieving joy is trying to eliminate things that hurt. Get rid of pain by numbing the nerve ends. Get rid of insecurity by eliminating risks. Get rid of disappointment by depersonalizing your relationships. And then, once you've done all that, try to lighten the boredom of such a life by buying joy in the form of vacations and entertainment. He says there isn't a hint of that in Psalm 126. You see, there really isn't such a thing as joy light. You either have joy or you don't. And I think a lot of us are pursuing what might be kind of a joy light, but it's a little bit like if an English professor tells their students to go read this amazing poem, but a student instead says, say it's you, you're the student, and you instead say, I don't want to read that poem. So you go online to find like a summary of the poem. And you come to school the next day and you're like, oh yeah, I read the poem. It's like, no, you didn't read the poem. Like, that's, that's just, there's no such thing as, as, like, you've experienced the poem by reading a summary. And that's kind of, I think, what the joy of this psalm is like. If we try to go after other things that are not true sources of joy, all that we have is we have an increasing appetite for those things and diminishing returns. So, real joy, Psalm 126 joy, one of the parts of it is identifying with God's big story. That's one of the ways that you get at joy, that your life begins to identify with God's big story. You notice in this psalm it says, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion. The psalm looks to the past. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy, and it was said among the nations, the Lord has done this for them. The Lord has done this for us, and we are filled with joy. And maybe you notice even there the subtle shift into the present. And that's what people of the joy of the Christian faith, of Jesus and of the gospel, that's what, that's what we do is we're kind of in, intermingling the past and the present. We sort of rehearse, and we come here and we do things like, I don't know if you noticed during the, the, the stuff on the screen during the baptism time, that there was talk about the different ways that God had been faithful and redeemed the people going through the waters of the Jordan and, and all these days, you know, the apostles preaching about the resurrection. We rehearse. We live in the sort of then and now. That's part of what we do. You might, not, you might not even think about it this way, but once in a while it's good for me to talk about that when we do the Lord's Supper, and we'll have a chance to do that a little bit further in the communion. Maybe you call it communion. Maybe you call it the Eucharist. We do this prayer, and if I was a child, I probably would have just called it the long prayer. 
um, but it's actually called a Eucharistic prayer. And what it is, is it's what the Jewish people used to do around Passover. It's rehearsing in prayer the history. But you'll notice that when we, whenever we do it, the language is us, we, in terms of all those events that happened, you know, way back to the Israelites. But we put ourselves in there and we say we and us. This bigger story is our story. God's actions of redemption are things we kind of take with us into the presence and they, and they kind of stoke our joy about who we are and how God has saved us. And so even when we think about the Garden of Eden and the, you know, the going through the Jordan, it's, and, we, and we baptize today, and we look at this water, and when you come forward for communion later, you have a chance to, um, to come forward, and maybe you won't do that to the cross like I just did, but the water will be right here, and you can put your fingers in the water, and you can kind of remember your baptism or look forward to your baptism, and remember the waters of the Jordan or of the Red Sea that parted for the Israelites, and then again the waters of the Jordan that did the same, and the waters of that same Jordan River that Jesus went down into and came up. This is our story. We take this with us, and in our church service, we intentionally are interacting and rehearsing and getting our hands in the water again and praying the Eucharistic prayer again every week. So that's a part of how we have joy. There's a couple other parts, too, that I want to mention just really briefly, because we don't have a lot of time is that real joy is in direct relationship to your tears. We spend a lot of time, our culture spends a lot of time, telling us that happiness and tears maybe don't go together, that joy and tears, that we want to run away from tears, that we don't want to express our tears, or that if something really bad is going on in your life that has you crying, that has you in a really tough spot, you might even say, as a Christian, you might say, have I done something wrong? I mean, I became a Christian. God's watching over me now. Aren't I in the, in the kind of safe from tears zone here? And the truth is, the way the Bible talks about it is that there's sort of this interconnectedness between our joy and our tears and that God doesn't actually save, start saving you from tears. There's an amazing quote in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. It's, in the, it's towards the end. It's in the return of the king. And there's this scene that I can't even really explain. It just, it just somehow, somehow Tolkien just did an, a masterful job, and it's so masterful you, you just have to read it and just absorb it and hardly even comment on it. It goes like this. But Sam lay back. This is after all the battles and everything, all the journey has come to a close. But Sam lay back and stared with open mouth, and for a moment between bewilderment, bewilderment and great joy, he could not answer. At last he gasped, Gandalf, I thought you were dead. But then I thought I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? What's happened to the world? A great shadow has departed, said Gandalf, and then... He laughed, and the sound was like music, or like water in a parched land. And, he was, and as he listened, the thought came to Sam that he had not heard laughter, the pure sound of merriment, for days upon days without count. It felt upon his ears like the echo of all the joys he had ever known. But he himself burst into tears. Then... As a sweet rain will pass down a wind of spring and the sun will shine out the clearer, his tears ceased. 
and his laughter welled up. And laughing, he sprang from his bed. How do I feel, he cried. Well, I don't know how to say it. I feel, I feel, he waved his arm in the air. I feel like spring after winter and sun on the leaves and like trumpets and hearts and all the songs I have ever heard. In verse 4 and 5, in verse 4 and 5 of Psalm 26, it says, Restore the fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping will carry seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. What Tolkien gets right is that there's some mysterious, deep, rich connection between your deepest tears and your deepest joy. And the psalm gets that as well. And the people of Israel singing it each year as they marched up to festival in Jerusalem, they get it, that there's something important about your tears and God meets you in your tears. And in fact, just moving on to the last point about this psalm, your joy is in direct relationship to the tears of Jesus. The unpredictable part that no one would have guessed about the salvation that comes in Jesus in the Christian story, the part you wouldn't guess is that Jesus came. And one way of looking at it is that practically it seemed like he was crying all the time. I mean, at one point, he's, he's just weeping for his friend and his other friends. His friend has died, Lazarus, and his other friends are weeping, and he weeps with them, even though he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead. There's this way in which God, when God came to earth to rescue us in Jesus, entered in fully to the tears. I don't know um, how you picture this, but Jesus, when he's on the cross, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Most of, most of the time, I think of that quote as being kind of declared authoritatively with this sort of calm and this, you know, bravado, uh, like a movie star, you know, at the climactic scene. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I just think he was, I think he was just a hot mess. I think he was just sobbing. I think it was coming out in the midst of quivering. And I mean, if you really enter into what's happening in that scene, it's horrible. And he cries out. What Jesus does, he enters into the most tearful spaces. And on the cross, he enters in the most tearful space of all, the most sad and difficult, sorrowful valley of the shadow of death that's possible. The space where his own prayers for God's presence are met with silence. It's what we all fear. And he goes there because we so desperately, in our sinful condition, needed someone to go there for us so that we would never have to. And that's the cross. And that's Jesus. And that's the source of your joy. That everything that should go to Jesus comes to you. And that that can never be taken away. That's your true treasure. That's the true foundation of your life when you become a Christian. That's what your baptism speaks to. That's what this table speaks to that we'll have a chance to come forward to in a minute. I invite you to pray with me. Our God of grace, we long to have true joy. And we pray that you would give us your Holy Spirit so much that we would be able to taste it and live from a more joyful place than we do on most days. 
Walk with us and lead us into this joy, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.